ran out of time last week on this um, topic of praying in tongues as we finish up our sort of uh, teaching on prayer for the start of this year. And there was so much more that I had to get through that I was like, I didn't want to just rush through it last week. So um, this is part two where we get to go a little bit deeper into um, the spiritual gift of, of praying in tongues. And so I'm just going to do a quick little recap of last week. I'll fly through this before we get into this morning's uh, content, which would be great. So first one is, um, is that the first one? Yes. First one is, is praying in tongues, it's, it's theologically complex. Okay, it's not just like a, a black and white thing. There's a bit of nuance to it. There's a bit of, um, a bit of, a bit of work to do to fully understand it, but it's definitely work, worth doing. Um, the second thing, it, it is culturally weird. Um, we just acknowledged that elephant in the room last week that when you pray in tongues, um, intellectually, it is bizarre. Like, I don't care who you are, it's an odd thing to do. You are speaking in a language you have no idea what you're saying, and, uh, but it's just culturally weird. And the third thing it is, it is emotionally charged. And what I mean by this is that um, it can be quite polarizing, and depending on how you grew up, if you grew up in church, um, some churches, some very, very conservative churches might see tongues as demonic as a demonic expression that is, is not for Christians today um, and certainly is not available for Christians. And, and on the other side of the, um, the argument are uh, churches that would say, unless you speak in tongues, you're not even saved. Like you have to speak in tongues in order to be a Christian. And so that can cause a lot of damage in people when you take such um, black and white polarizing views on topics like tongues and then when you come to a church like this which um, I would say we are uh, theologically uh, balanced in how we view things um, scripturally I think it, it can cause a bit of tension so I want to just acknowledge that it can be um, emotionally charged um, three myths about tongues uh, if you don't pray in tongues you aren't filled with the Holy Spirit I believe that is wrong um, if you don't pray in tongues, you aren't saved. I believe that is wrong. And tongues are not for today. I also don't think that is true. But these are certain um, truths that some people believe about tongues. Uh, the next one is that um, a basic definition would be that tongues is a form of prayer given by the Spirit for us to give praise to God in a language we do not understand. So that's essentially what it is. Um, the phrase gifts of the Spirit, because essentially we would say that tongues is a gift of the Spirit, but this phrase does not actually appear in the original Greek New Testament manuscripts. A more accurate translation, which I love, is stuff the Spirit does. Tongues is one of the things that's just the stuff the Spirit does. Uh, and why, why that's important to note is because I think sometimes we can get so pigeonholed into um, gift-based ministries and what is my gift for the church and, and, and then when we find that gift and I'm all for those gift finder courses and quizzes you do but, but I don't want to pigeonhole you nor do I want you to pigeonhole God's um, moving in your life because you might have a specific gift primarily but that doesn't mean God can't move in many other ways in your life and I think um, seeing it not just as a gift that you get and that's it but seeing it as this is stuff the Spirit does and at any time, at any moment, God can do incredible things in and through you as the Spirit wills, opens up your um, understanding and experience of God to a whole new level than just a binary this or that or one or the other gift that um, we have sort of bought into over the years, if that makes sense. So here's a list of stuff that Paul's list of stuff the Spirit does in 1 Corinthians 12 and, and Romans 12. 
Um, and this is all the ways, all the stuff that the Spirit does in and through the church today. So he, he'll give words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, healings, miracles, prophecies, distinguishing of tongues, kinds of tongues, oh, sorry, distinguishing of spirits, interpretation of tongues, apostleship, teaching, prophet, miracles, healings, help, administration, tongues again, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy. And so why this, is, as I said, is important is if you go, okay, I've got the gift of... Um, administration and you are really good at being organized you're a blessing to the body of Christ because you can organize teams and things well and get systems in place that does not mean that the Holy Spirit can't do miracles through your life that doesn't mean that you don't get words of knowledge or prophecies that will help somebody else it just means that you primarily have been given um, this gift of administration amongst all the other stuff that the Spirit does and so I guess I want us to sort of see tongues as not something that locks us in but opens us up to all the things that the Spirit does through us. Um, examples of tongues um, that we see. Uh, Acts chapter 1, uh, the day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit falls in the upper room. Uh, they appear to have tongues of fire, which is on the background picture of this image. Um, and they all began to speak in tongues as the Holy Spirit uh, gave them utterance. And at that particular time, they were speaking uh, languages of the other dialects that were there for um, Passover and Pentecost. Then we fast forward to Acts chapter 10, and here we see Peter preaching. The Holy Spirit falls on all who were there, and they all began to speak in tongues. Fast forward again to Acts chapter 19. Um, Paul is here. He meets a couple of disciples and says, Are you guys baptized in Jesus? And then I went baptized in John. Oh, you've got to get baptized in Jesus. Lays hands on them, prays for them. They all begin to speak in tongues. And so we can then go, beauty, Holy Spirit falling equals all speak in tongues and some churches have done that have drawn that conclusion and I would say look I don't know that that's fully the best biblical way to go about drawing a conclusion because if you look at the whole book of Acts there are about I think I said last week about 22 21 22 instances where um, people became followers of Jesus were filled with the Holy Spirit and they're the only three we get where they all began to speak in tongues so to make it a, a normative thing that just automatically happens every single time, I think is problematic when you understand the entirety of Scripture. Does that mean that the Holy Spirit doesn't fill your tongues? Absolutely not. I'm the biggest tongue talker. Ever. I, I love it. It's, I'm all for it. But we've got to think of it and see it through a healthy biblical framework. Okay, so I think that brings us to where we are today. Great. So we're going to read um, 1 Corinthians 14 which gives us some of our clearest instruction about praying in tongues. So if you've got, got a Bible, open up with me to 1 Corinthians 14, and we will scroll together. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, or eagerly desire the stuff the Spirit does, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather that you have prophecy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church might be edified. Okay. So there's five things here that we see in these first five verses. The first thing is um, that these other languages are to God and not to man. And we see that in verse 1. 
Uh, sorry, verse 2. Um, anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. So if you're speaking in tongues, you're not speaking to me. If I'm speaking in tongues, I'm not speaking to you. It's to God. It's my language via the Spirit to His Spirit. And it's unintelligible to my mind. It's just I know and I have faith and I trust that this is my divine language that I have between me and God. Um, the second thing we see here is that these languages don't make sense, especially at least not to the speaker. The speaker doesn't intellectually understand what they are saying. And uh, unless you've got the gift of interpretation where you interpret your own tongues, I know for me, I've been praying in tongues for over 20 years, and I do not know what I'm praying. I just pray by faith that the Spirit's flowing through me, praying God's perfect will for whatever it is that um, I'm you know, interacting with God about. Uh, three, these languages edify, which simply means to build up the speaker and not the church. Right? So again, we're talking, remember 1 Corinthians, he's addressing chaos and disorder in the church. The church is wacky, tabacky, out of control, and, and Paul's going, we're going to get some order here. And so tongues does not, if I speak in tongues, it does not build you up. If you speak in tongues, it doesn't build me up. It only builds you up. Unless, of course, as we'll see, if it's interpreted, in which case, then it blesses everybody. Um, the fourth thing, tongues is not as important as prophecy. Why? Well, because of point three. Because tongues only builds up one person. Prophecy builds up all people. So if I had a word of prophecy right now, and prophecy simply means um, declaring the word of God. So if I got up here and just read a passage of Scripture, I, I essentially am prophesying, I'm declaring the, the, the truth of God's Word to you. And if I do that, then I bless all of you. But if I speak in tongues, I only build myself up. That's why prophecy, according to Paul, is more important or greater. Not greater as in necessarily more significant, but greater impact um, than tongues. And then the, first thing, uh, the fifth thing in verse 5 is, ideally, every believer should speak in tongues now but didn't you say that that doesn't mean you're saved or holy absolutely so so there's a, a caveat there where uh, i think yeah all believers should desire to speak in tongues should um ask that the spirit would give them the gift of tongues but that doesn't necessarily mean that their salvation or the spirit's indwelling hinges upon that the spirit of god dwells in us at the moment of salvation we get baptized into the holy spirit the holy spirit in us and then from there, gifts are apportioned and experienced. Um, this, our salvation does not hinge upon tongues or not. But in verse 1, Paul says to eagerly pursue spiritual gifts, eagerly desire the stuff that the Spirit does. So desire it. All right, let's jump to verse 6. Is this okay? I know it's going to be a bit teaching and it's going to be a bit stuff, but we'll, we'll get through there. Verse 6. Um, now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you, and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? Unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge of prophecy or word of instruction. Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or the harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If, if then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. 
Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. All right, so there's a lot going on there. But in those six verses, we see three metaphors that Paul brings to the fore. Um, the first metaphor is this metaphor of um, music. And so um, I am not, I love music. I have the musical gift of appreciation, not, not, not actual playing. Um, so I just, I really know what's good and what I like. And uh, I think that's a skill. And, and I see our, our worship team and I'm just in awe um, of their ability to play music so well. And I think as a church, on a side note, we should always be encouraging our worship team because I don't really, I think sometimes we forget how wonderful we have things when it comes to our worship. Um, but Paul gives this example here of, of, of music. And in order for music to sound good and to be pleasing and to be like a symphony that is this beautiful piece of art, um, the specific notes and, and the chords need to be played in, in certain rhythms and orders in order for that to make a cohesive sound and make a beautiful song. Um, if, if I got up there and just was like, and I played notes and I played sounds, but it wasn't played with the right rhythm or the right tempo in the right order with the right chord structure, it would just be noise. And, um, and so it has to be played the right chords, the right notes at the right time in the right, and you get this beautiful, and that's why music is so amazing when you hear great musicians play it just takes you to this otherworldly place because it's just the, the epicenter of beauty and, and tongues is like that without order and structure around tongues it's just chaos and this is what was happening in the church in Corinth they were all getting to the weekly gatherings in the tabernacle and they're all praying in tongues over each other and being crazy and it was just like on the keyboard and Paul's like guys Let's bring some order into this so it can be this beautiful gift of the Spirit flowing through us in an orderly manner. That's all it is. And so then this beautiful symphony of the Spirit can flow when there's order in the house of God. Um, the second metaphor he gives is, um, is the battle, is the battle trumpet or the ram's horn that will be used. And, um, and it's important uh, in, in the context when he's talking about the, the ram's horn because the ram's horn or the, or the battle trumpet would... The soldiers would know the particular blasts that were being blasted to know what to do. So a certain blast would say, you know, charge. Another blast would say retreat. One would say, we're going to go this way. One would say, we're going to go that way. And so they were trained to know what the specific sounds would mean and what to do. And if, if the guy with the trumpet um, or, or the ram's horn blasted the, the, the note or, or the, the sound that meant um, charge but you're supposed to do retreat, it's just going to cause carnage. Or if he blasts to go right, but they should have gone left or, or whatever, it needs to be done in order and specifically because people's lives depend upon it. And so tongues is against one of those things. Uh, Paul is reinforcing this point where there needs to be order. There needs to be some structure around it. We need to understand how it works properly so it can be most effective and most efficient in the life of the church. And the third one is um, foreign languages. And I think... Um, and this, this has significant impact as well on our church in our, in our mission. Um, because, and here's what I mean. So, so for example, Anna and I um, have, she is the most, um, the, the person I know at the most deepest intimate level ever in my entire life. Um, and, and she knows everything about me. I know everything about her, or at least I think I do. Um, and and there, is, there is nobody on this planet that, that I have a deeper 
more meaningful, loving, intimate relationship with. Now, if she spoke German and I spoke English, our intimacy has a cap because our language barrier would prevent us from getting to the full depth of relational intimacy that we can get to because she can't share her deepest, darkest secrets and thoughts and longings and desires um, in a way that I would understand to then reciprocate. So we're always going to have this limit in our relationship that's going to affect our effectiveness as we work together because being on the same page in regards to language means we can better understand each other and work together. And so if we were just a church and we just got together a little happy clappy club and we got together and the spirit fell and we just started to pray in tongues the whole time and someone who was, uh, who was seeking comes into our service and sees us speaking in a language that's unknown to us, we have automatically affected the level of intimacy and connection we can have with that person because they don't understand what we're doing because there's no order. That's why prophecy builds the church because everybody can understand it. And so when we get on the same page, we go, all right, um, uh, tongues is, is a language between me and God. That's where the most building is done. Unless it's interpreted so that everyone else can understand and get in on the party, um, then it should be just kept between us and God. And, and it, I don't have a, a, a robust theology yet around um, interpretation of tongues, simply because, to be really honest, I've never really seen it being done in 20 plus years. Um, I've probably, it's probably happened, but it hasn't been overtly distinct or clear um, in, in a prayer meeting or something like that. So it's one of those things that I would like to see more of and asking God to reveal more of that because I think that would be kind of cool. But, um, so there needs to be sort of boundaries around that. Um, all right, we're good? Of course you are. You're wonderful. Verse 13. Um, so for this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what it is you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. Again, just bringing home that point that if you pray in a tongue, it only edifies you. Unless it's interpreted, then um, because it's a prayer that's not for the rational mind, it's for the spirit. Um, but when it's interpreted, then it takes the unintelligible language into intelligible languages so that we can understand what the spirit is doing and we can all be edified and built up. Okay, now we get to the juicy bits. Um, verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, in the weekly gathering... I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Interesting. Um, fun fact, 10,000 in, in the Greek numeracy was the, the largest possible number. It's like we would, we would say a gazillion or a bajillion. Um, so he's making a, 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 a hyperbole point here to say, you know, I would rather speak just a handful of words in a language you understand than all the words I could possibly say in tongues because those five words in a weekly corporate gathering carry more weight than all the words I could say with my personal spiritual language unless it was interpreted. Um, see, tongues is, is such a beautiful gift from God to cultivate our relationship with Him. Um, 
Uh, and that's, I guess, the point I wanted to really ram home today is that it is, it is a gift of the Spirit. It is stuff the Spirit does. And it really is a beautiful gift to enhance and develop your relationship with God directly. Um, and uh, I've not, I know in, in my life with tongues um, that, that sometimes it's like, as I'm praying in tongues, I feel like I'm an autopilot. And I just trust that I'm praying God's will and I'm connecting with God, my spirit, his spirit, that sort of thing. But then sometimes, for me, tongues is razor-sharp focused. It's white-hot. And I'll think about like a person or a situation, and I think about that situation, and I know I've got to pray into that, but I, I, don't, I can't find the words that are adequate enough to pray for the complexity and the bigness of that situation. And so, so that's where I kind of think that Romans 8.26 kicks in that says that, that the Holy Spirit... Um, oh, let me just read it to you. It says, uh, when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. So we get in those situations where it's like, God, I'm overwhelmed, or God, I'm confused, or God, this is so complex. Um, that's when we trust this, this, this gift of tongues, if you like, this, this Holy Spirit prayer language to then um, just come out of us, which are these, these groanings that are too deep, too complex, that words don't have the, 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 the right capacity to fully explain or unpack and so and so we just pray in tongues and so sometimes i'm like let's get super aggressive and I get real loud and it gets intense because i'm just praying for that and i can just see strongholds breaking down and um and other times it's really quiet and it's reflective and it's like you know and and on the flip side of that too it's like tongues is a beautiful way to also when you don't have enough words to describe the beauty of a situation like you might just be driving past and see you know, amazing sunrise or the ocean and you're like, God, I want to just pray and thank you, but I don't even have the right words to describe the beauty of this moment. And so tongues is a wonderful gift to be able to just to communicate with God with thanksgiving and awe and wonder um, to, again, cultivate that relationship with him directly because tongues builds us up. It edifies us, which is super cool. Okay, I'm going to draw to a close. I might get Josh up if that's all right. Um, here's what I look at, which I find really cool. 1 Corinthians 14. Let's look at verse 1, the top and tail. Verse 1, verse 40, the beginning and the end of this chapter. In the, in the very beginning of this chapter, Paul says, pursue love and eagerly desire the things of the Spirit, or eagerly desire spiritual gifts, or eagerly desire the stuff the Spirit does. But he starts with pursue love. pursue love love is the motivator through these things it's not so that you can get a cool trick to do at a prayer meeting it's because you have such a love for God that you desire more of him that you are hungry for a greater expression in your prayer life to him and then what is what I find also fascinating is is if you look at 1 Corinthians 12 13 and 14 You'll see chapter 12 is all about the gifts. We just read those before. Chapter 14 is all about the structure and the role and function of those gifts. But what do we find right in the middle in chapter 13? That's the love chapter. That's all about love is patient, love is kind. What is love? All that stuff is 
is right there. So, so love is the sandwich between the gifts God gives and how they should be operated. How they should function. Romans 41, pursue love. Pursue love. And then right at the very, very end of this chapter, verse 40, it says, everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. If you love the church, if you love God, if you love other people, you will do things in a fitting and orderly way to show and that, that demonstrate that love for them. And, and tongues is just like that. If you read chapter 13, it says, you know, if I have tongues of angels or tongues of men, but I don't have love, I'm just like a clanging cymbal. I'm just making noise. So pursue love. Let love drive our desire and hunger for the things of the Spirit. And let us, because of love, order our lives and our services, our gatherings, in a way that shows that that love is real. Because in this church, they were in chaos. It was carnage. They weren't sitting here quietly in order like you are right now. I don't even know how the priest would get a word in edgeways because of how much chaos was going on. And Paul's saying, your chaos is an indicator of a lack of love and respect you have for one another. Because some people are here to receive and some people are here to connect with God and, and you carrying on in a disorderly way is preventing them from doing that. So why don't you show some restraint and put some order in your world as a reflection of the love you have for other people to connect with God in the weekly gatherings. You can pray in tongues all you like, but it's only going to edify you. So do that in your own life, in your own world. When we're together, let's, let's prophesy in order so that everyone can be blessed. When we're together, Let's seek the Spirit so He can interpret tongues if tongues is available so that everyone can be blessed. I think that's um, one of the most important things that we can understand about all that is, is to love. Um, 1 Corinthians 12 says, Don't be ignorant about the stuff the Spirit does. 1 Corinthians 14 says, To eagerly desire the stuff the Spirit does to be done in your life.